0: Well, good morning, friends, and uh, welcome here to Bethany Baptist Church. And as on this Canada Day, and I bet you didn't know half of that history that we just learned, right? (laughs) I sure didn't. So on this day, as we celebrate baptisms and at the end of our service, we're going to have uh, some people becoming members of our church Uh, It kind of fits in with our series on the book of Acts. And each time that the church tries to reinvent itself, the Christian church tries to reinvent itself, oftentimes we go back to the book of Acts and we start looking at what they did, what they valued, what was important to them, what were their foundations, and we look at that and we say, what can we learn from it? Now, in the book of Acts, and it's actually called the Acts of the Apostles, it's the second volume of Luke's writings. And uh, so the first volume is the book of Luke, the second volume is the book of Acts, And sometimes people think because Luke uh, finished the book of Acts so abruptly that he was planning to write a third volume afterwards. Now, if in the first volume it was about Jesus and all that he taught and did, and if the second volume was about the apostles and what they taught and did, the third volume would likely be about what happened when the apostles disappeared? And what did the early church leaders teach and do? Because in the, in the book of Luke we see Jesus and it's all about what he did. In Acts we see what does faith look like when we no longer have Jesus living with us. And after that, it would be about how do we continue on when we no longer have the apostles. So this is that center part. When we take a look at the things that were taught and how the church got established and where it got its roots. So how many chapters are in the book of Acts? Very close. 31, 28. 28 chapters. And in those 28 chapters, you know, sometimes we take um, a very big event and squish it into a small time period. And sometimes we take a very seemingly small event and expand it into a larger picture. So, for instance, at the end of the book of Acts, it talks about... Paul's being in jail in Rome for two years and it covers those two years in just a few sentences but here we have this morning we have a story that covers two full chapters chapter three and chapter four and it's one event and because they get Luke gives so much time to it we look at it and we read it as this is something significant that we need to take notice of. Now, uh, Pastor Steph took some time to talk about the miracle that happens in the early part of chapter 3. Uh, Peter and John are going to the temple. There was a man who was brought there to the temple who was lame. And he turns to Peter and John and he says, please, alms for the poor. And Peter says, I don't have any money, but I'm going to give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he grabs him by the hand and pulls him out of his position. And the man is healed. And that's a miraculous sign. We sometimes call it miracles. Oftentimes the Bible refers to it as a miraculous sign. Because it, they are always there to say something. And then after that, we get into the message that Peter spontaneously preaches. So as we take a look at the book of Acts and as we get into the story, there's one thing I want to point out about the book of Acts. That the book of Acts is what we call descriptive, not perscriptive. Or in other words, the book of Acts talks about what happened, not about what should happen or should always happen. Now, that does not mean that we in any way look at Acts in a, with a lower perspective. In fact, as we take a look at what happened, we learn so many valuable things. Which is why the book of Acts has got some great stories and sometimes it's got some very hard and difficult and confusing stories. It's not saying that's the way it should be, but we learn so much from each one of these stories. So as we take a look at this first story, we're going to start in verse 11. And so we're talking about the man who is healed. It says here, while the man held on to Peter and to John and all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. It's a part of the temple. It's kind of an outdoor portico area. In fact, the, the whole temple mount had a number of buildings and this was sort of in that compound. They were in the temple area, Solomon's Colonnade. And Peter saw this and he says to them, fellow Israelites why does this surprise you? Does God ever do things and you get surprised? You know, sometimes we meet together and we pray and all of a sudden God answers the prayer and you go, whoa, (laughs) I didn't see that coming. (laughs) You know, sometimes we get so used to being in church To singing the songs to looking at the theology to talk about what's religious some of you have grown up in the church your whole life and then when God actually does something it can shock you so much and you wonder wow that's a miracle that is so unusual And the interesting thing is we get so used to learning about God that sometimes we miss what God is doing. And Peter was in a situation like that. People who had been raised their whole life in the temple, learning about the law, learning about the sacrifices, learning about what to eat, what not to eat who to associate what not to who not to associate with they were learning all the rules so they could be good religious boys and girls which can happen in a church like ours too yet miss the power of god and when god does something it actually surprises you you get to know about God but you don't get to know God and Peter is breaking into this and God is using Peter to say something to the people of that day that they need to know him something and of course they're surprised if we had that happen in our church if somebody rolled up in a wheelchair and uh, I walked down and said God is healing you, brother. And I grabbed them by the hand and pulled them out of the wheelchair and they were healed. Wouldn't you find that amazing? I'm sure you would. Some of you would be completely surprised. And then I would have to respond the way Peter responded. Why do you stare at us as if by our own power, our godliness, we have made this man walk? You might be tempted to say, that Pastor Jerry, God really listens to him. He must be doing something right. But it's not about the person. It's about what God is doing. In fact, this has been a challenge all through history. Remember Joseph, the young man who could interpret dreams? Well, when the Pharaoh called him to the palace to interpret his dreams... The pharaoh says, Joseph, I've heard that you can interpret dreams. He says, sorry, I cannot do it. But God can give us the wisdom. Daniel was in a a similar situation when he was before the king. The king said, can you do it? And he says, I can't, but it is God who gives the wisdom. You see, when God is at work, it's not dependent on one person. It's what God is doing. And there are times that we think we can manipulate God, that we can get God to do what we want him to do. You ever tried to find a better way to pray? Have you ever tried to think, if I found the right words or prayed it in a certain order, maybe God would listen to me more and do what I really need him to do? There are times that probably you are tempted, as I am, to think that I need to get God to do something. And the early church struggled with this exact same thing. When Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, he says, some of you follow Cephas, some of you pledge allegiance to Apollos, some to me, Paul. He says, but it is not about us, it's about Jesus This was a very controversial and astounding thought people who had been raised their whole life on the Old Testament of course they didn't call it the Old Testament it was just called the scriptures there was no New Testament in those days it was only the Old Testament writings They learned about the law. They learned about the prophets. They learned about what they should and they shouldn't do. And then all of a sudden, to think that God would work, and it's not about the person, it's about God? Peter goes on to talk about it this way. It's in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed this man. See, at this point, Peter is changing the focus of all of religious history, at least on the surface, because while it had been for centuries, we must follow Moses. We must walk in the ways of Abraham. We must obey the laws there are certain things we cannot do, certain days that are holy. Peter is right away focusing it on Jesus. And it's the power of Jesus that has made this man whole. So then what do we do with that Old Testament? Well, there again... As we read the Scriptures, we see so many stories in the Old Testament that are so valuable. The things that we can learn from it are so valuable. But Peter puts his eye on one thing. It's the name of Jesus. See, the thing is, is that Jesus is the focus of all Scripture. All of the Old Testament points at the coming Messiah, at the coming Christ the coming Son of God. And right all the way from Genesis on, we see pictures, little mini symbols of the coming Jesus, the coming Christ. He is that focus. He is that ribbon of purpose that follows all the way through every story. The Old Testament isn't just a collection of stories of interesting journeys of faith. It's assembled for this purpose, to speak of the coming Messiah. And so as we read it on the surface, we see the stories, but as we look deeper, we see who it's really pointing to. And it's Jesus. Now for those of you who are checking out church this morning, Maybe you don't go to church very regularly. Or maybe you're checking out our church and thinking, is this a good place to grow? I want to tell you this. Our focus is on Jesus. Though I admit sometimes we take our eye off the ball. There are some times we think it's about other things. Misguidedly so. Sometimes we think, well, it's about the rules we follow. Sometimes we think it's about the people that we have in power. Sometimes we think it's about rules and about what it looks like on the outside. And I have to admit and even confess that sometimes we get sucked into things where it's not about Jesus. That's that temptation that we all face. We tend to think that, is it about the Old Testament rules and finding a way to appease God or make God happy? But in reality, when we know Jesus, we realize that it's about his work in us. And as, and as different and as unusual and controversial as it was in Jesus' time, to actually say that, it still is that today. But our desire is to keep coming back to this focus, that it is about Jesus. When something happens, it is his work. That's why we pray to him. That's why we study the scriptures about him. That's why we seek to obey him, because he is our focus. That it's about Jesus. Now in this sermon that Peter is given, he he continues on and he starts going back to Abraham in verse 13. And he says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. Which means he's lifted him up as the one. He's glorified him. But He says, you handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though Pilate had decided to let him go. And you can just see Peter and his big fisherman finger going like this. Where God has glorified him and lifted him up, but you handed him over to be killed. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be released to you. And you killed the author of life. And it's amazing with that finger being pointed around the very same people who just a few months earlier were listening to the words of Jesus were now hearing Peter and what Peter had to say. And you killed the author of life. How do you do away with the very thing that gives you life? This is a phrase in some ways that says, you took a step beyond the point of no return to kill the one that gives you life. And he says, but God raised him from the dead. And so he puts it this way, you on this side, God on this side. You killed him, but God raised him to life. God glorified him, You disowned him. And he showed very definitely that you were on one side and God is on the other. And people, religious people, who are so used to going to the temple on a daily and weekly basis had to come to grips that that was not enough. That still, God was on this side And we are on this side. And Peter says, and we are witnesses. In other words, and we saw you do it. We saw you there. We heard you say, crucify him. We saw Jesus nailed to the cross. We saw the priests scheming in the background. We saw it all happen. And you can't get away with it. I saw you in the back there. You know you with the the ear that got cut off? Yes, I cut off your ear. I was aiming for more, but you ducked. See, Peter was saying, all of this that has happened... God on one side and you on the other, we have all seen it happen. And haven't you seen it happen in your life? When you've been choosing a direction, making choices, and all of a sudden you come to the realization that, you know what, I wonder if I'm really on God's side or if I've chosen my own side. And what's the point of Peter's pointing? Why do all that? Was his goal just to make everybody feel guilty? Have you been to some sermons like that where you get that really nasty good feeling of feeling guilty? Yeah, boy, that feels good. (laughs) No. In fact, some of us avoid hearing the truth because it makes us feel so bad. But Peter is saying this, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing might come from the Lord. See, the whole goal of pointing out the fact that God is on this side and you're on this side, the whole point is so that you can, and we use the word repent, but it means to turn to God. The whole reason that we pointed out is so that you can turn and so that times of refreshing can come. It's kind of like going to an oncologist and the oncologist says, you've got cancer, but we can deal with it. Do you then think the oncologist is a mean person and a nasty person because they pointed out that you have cancer? No. He points it out so that he can deal with it. And that's what Peter is doing. And that's what God does in our hearts. When you start feeling the finger of God on your heart. And you start feeling like, yes, God's on this side and I'm not. I'm on this side. God does it because he wants to do something about it. To get us to repent, to turn, to join him on his side. Puts it this way. God sent him, referring to Jesus. God sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. See, that's God's blessing in your life. To turn you before it's too late. To draw you back to him before it's too late. And when you feel the finger of God on your heart, instead of being hardened to it or to say, I don't want to hear that, to let God speak and to turn you so that you can join Him on His side. His goal is to deliver us from the very thing that poisons us. To deliver us from the things that are in our heart. To rescue us from that burning building to cure that soul cancer that we have. See, to the religious crowd, they were used to hearing sermons about the law and about things they should do and about sacrifices and holy days and things like that. But this became a struggle very early on in the church life. And And Paul puts it in Romans chapter 8 this way. For what the law was powerless to do. Now, the law has power. But Paul explains it this way. That the power that the law has is it has the power to point out our sin. It has the power to show us where we are wrong. It has the power to say, don't do that it can control our actions but you know what it can't do it can't change our heart it can kill us but it can't give us life so what the law was powerless to do in that it could not give us life god did by sending his own son and he sent him as a human, to be a sin offering, to pay for that sin. And he condemned sin so that he wouldn't have to condemn us. He condemned sin in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. You see, the law that everyone had studied and learned and practiced and thought that this was a way that we can appease God they realize that there are limits to the thou shalt nots. It can show me where I slip up. It can show me where I do not meet God's standards, but it cannot change my heart. It cannot give me life. And that can only come from Jesus. So as we take a look into these chapters chapter 3 and chapter 4, in this very significant story, the man who was healed and then the sermon that flows out of this, Peter is trying to establish some foundational things that the whole church would be built on for centuries. And these foundational truths, number one, that Jesus is our focus. Our focus is not about our catechisms. Our focus is not about our rules, our programs. Our focus is not about the types of sermons we preach, whether they're narrative or expository. And it's not about who is more right than others. Our focus is in Jesus and in the power of his name, which is why we meet together to pray. Why when two or three gather together and ask for Jesus stirring, it's his power that we rely on. And there are times that we take our eye off the ball and we think it's somehow about us, but it's not. It's about Jesus. And that becomes a foundational thing. The second thing, is that the Old Covenant is fulfilled in Jesus. And while it used to be that sermons were about law and holy days and holy things to do, it now becomes that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that. All of those Old Testament laws pointed to the coming Messiah. They all spoke of that. The Sabbath day of rest spoke of the one who would bring rest. When he comes. All the Old Testament spoke of the coming Jesus. The third foundational truth. That repentance is God's grace and blessing. When God calls you to to turn. He does that because he loves you. When you feel God's convicting finger stirring in your heart, when your conscience begins to feel heavy and you realize that you are really on the opposite side from God, God does that because he loves you. Because he's trying to bring you back to his side. So that you can walk with him. So that he can have that relationship with you that he longs for. It's not because he hates you. It's not because he rejects you, but he stirs in your life because he wants you. And the fourth foundational truth that we learn from this sermon is that fresh life comes when we turn to God. What the law could not do, could not give life, life comes through Jesus. When we turn from our sin, when we turn to Jesus, then something happens within us. All those laws, they could control our actions, but they could not spark the life change. It could keep us from saying, thou shalt not murder, so I won't kill, but in my heart I still hate. The law cannot change that, but Christ can change that within you. And this becomes our focus, isn't it? It is about Jesus. The whole sermon of Peter, which stands in such stark contrast to the laws and the sermons that the priests of those days were preaching, is that it is now about the power of God at work in you. And that becomes our foundation as a church. And as a church our desire is to follow Jesus to let him be at work in our life sometimes he has to surprise us and sometimes even downright shock us into reality to realize that even though my own surroundings of faith are comforting there are some times that God has to push me into areas where I'm very uncomfortable so that I can experience deeper faith in him. Sometimes he uses tragedy. Sometimes he uses boredom. Sometimes he uses our own failings and our sin to shock us and to wake us up, to realize that it's still about Jesus. Jesus. And that's what he does in us as a church but I'm sure that's what he does in your life also he wants to draw you into a closer relationship with Jesus not just to be part of a religious organization as fine as our church is it needs to be deeper and when God comes knocking on your heart and stirring about where you are, which side you are on. He does that out of love. And he condemns sin so that he doesn't have to condemn you. So when God comes knocking on your heart, listen to it, respond to it, and allow God to lead you back to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you used Peter to heal that lame man, but there were so many other lame and blind people, spiritually lame and blind, who needed you. And Father, we are also in that part that we are often lame and blind. We don't see what you are doing. We don't keep our eye on you. And sometimes we don't follow you. We want to confess that before you today. And we ask that the power of Jesus would change us. Father, we ask that the power of Jesus would continue to give us new life. And Father, for those of us who've known you for years yet maybe have taken our eye off of what you are doing. Father, refresh us and renew us in your way, I pray. Father, may this be the day in our lives that many of us will say, I chose to join you on your side. Thank you for the call on our life. Thank you for your convicting power that wants to rescue us. And Father, today, give us the courage to follow you afresh. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.